Welcome to the Cannabis Question, a medical marijuana podcast coming out of the Keystone State of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Scott Goddard, and I wanted to thank you for lending us your precious ears today and joining us for episode two. Now, today I have Kevin Conyers with me. You might remember him from episode one with the Taste Buds segment. And we're going to uh, have a talk about today's cannabis question, which is, how is cannabis medicinal? Now, there's a lot of information about the medicinal value of cannabis and the science behind it. And so we're just going to touch on a couple of pieces here. But no doubt in the future, we're going to revisit this a couple of times and get into some real great detail about the function of cannabis with our body. We actually do a little bit later on in the show with our second segment, which is called Med Pro Quo with our pharmacist, Becky McCaskey. And I'm going to talk to Becky today and take a little bit of a nibble at the idea of what gives us the munchies whenever we get medicated. So once again, thanks for joining us. And without much further ado, let's drop right in. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today on episode two of The Cannabis Question. Uh, I'm joined here today by uh, Kevin, you may remember from episode one with his Taste Bug segment. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Oh, Kevin. absolutely. We all made it through uh, episode one. Thank you guys for joining us for episode two here. And the question today, of course, is why is cannabis medicinal? Uh, we sort of tackled the legality history a bit um, and bring cannabis to a much more neutral state where it's just the plant. But it's especially in our minds a medicinal plant, and we wanted to give a, a great impression as to why. Uh, one thing Kevin and I both share professionally is we are bud tenders in the medical market in PA. Um, and before I probably got my card, I don't think I would have felt the way I do now about the medicinal quality of cannabis. I came from a different sort of setting before I started bud tending here. My first experience with the medical marijuana side of things was in California. I was prescribed medical marijuana out there for a number of things, including the fact that I was on my feet for 12 hours a day at least and had chronic back pain from that. I had cut my hands several times over the course of bartending. So with that being said, they were like, you're an excellent patient for the the qualifier of pain with cannabis as medicine. So having it been something that I used recreationally, but I always felt was great for my headspace and great for pain relief, I was able to use it in a medical fashion. And experiencing that really changed my life and the way that I viewed the medicine and coming back to PA really saw that start to change in our market as well. Yeah, I'd say the one thing, uh, you know, I was an ex-musician, you know, I'd say anybody out there who's enjoyed the right kind of concert, you know, it's sort of part of the culture of music, a lot of a lot of left-leaning things in art. Uh, often you'll find, you know, people who are curious about being able to change their perception a little. And for years, you know, certainly uh, through the black market years, uh, it was just a fun thing in my opinion. You know, I, I couldn't really appreciate it beyond that. Um, now, I've had massive pains as well to my lower back uh, for a lot of my life. And although it helped, it was never something I could necessarily preach on. You know, it wasn't anything I had the evidence to to really verify. Um, but after bud tending as long as I have and looking into really the science, the, the very recent science, especially with cannabis, uh, it's pretty undeniable that there is a, a large medical um, base to this experience, you know, to, to the plant itself. 
Uh, certainly, it's why it's probably hung around in human culture for so long. But uh, it's definitely why right now it's going to be one of those hot topics you'll hear on the news and all over culture that uh, we're finally being able to look at it with clear eyes. And I think we have traditionally. Being a relatively young, relatively healthy man, um, I found that cannabis has helped a lot. But since being in the program and really seeing the need for people who aren't relatively young and aren't relatively healthy and how cannabis has affected their lives, whether they've used it for 60 years and are now seeing it as medicine for the first time in their life or have never seen it outside of anything but medicine, have never used cannabis, really didn't pay attention to it as a recreational thing or any other type of a thing, are now really tuned in to the benefits that their doctors are recommending to them that they will see. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I was doing some research for the last episode and had this kind of feeling in me where it was like, wow, uh, although I have not been in any way an activist, I would say up to this point, I probably never made myself uncomfortable trying to see if marijuana could get into a better legal state. Uh, I'm definitely on the precipice, I feel at this point, seeing the width of good it can do and also the unreasonable background. But speaking of uh, part of that background on the medicinal side, it was something that only recently uh, came to the forefront, really why cannabis works medicinally, and it isn't just a bunch of guys in a in a smoky shed somewhere. Uh, it, was, it wasn't really until the early 90s, I think somewhere around 92 or 93, um, that a scientist was able to figure out exactly where THC and, you know, for its concurrent sister part, CBD, went into the human body and helped it out. Uh, it's insane that for as long as it was illegal and obviously discussed socially that none of this end science existed. They still, through all of its prohibition, uh, up until very recently, had no idea what THC actually did in the human body. They didn't really know why it had an effect at all. Working with you, too, I think that we both know that THC has affected people in ways that science hasn't proven yet, as well as CBD. That anecdotally, we have a thousand stories, because we see hundreds of patients on a daily basis, of I'm no longer taking 300 pills for my seizures, and then subsequently all the pills to counteract the side effects of my seizure medicine because I've started using cannabis. Uh, I'm no longer addicted to opioids. My family loves me again. Uh, I don't feel spaced out or that I'm missing out on life because I'm able to enjoy it again. I'm able to maybe take off the edge, take off the pain, take off some of the anxiety. And if that's not medicine, I don't really understand what is. And so in the body, uh, the particular system is called uh, the endocannabinoid system. And really, you can just see it's that cannabis base word, uh, annoyed, just being part of it. But the endo means it comes from us. So it's something our body produces, a, a amount of cannabinoids that normally service us and give us certain effects and feelings. And when THC and CBD come in, when the cannabinoids from cannabis uh, find their way into our bloodstream, they end up just mimicking chemicals we already have. Whereas a lot of other drugs that might be out there, things that cannabis has been associated with legally or culturally, uh, are often adding in things that your body never had in the first place or manipulating them from a really hard mechanism. Uh, just like you were born with some water in your body, it's sort of like taking in another nutrient. You're simply adding in and uh, being able to append something that you've already had in your body. Something that's been uh, a blight on the community of 
non-legal cannabis users for a long time, but something that is proof of its medicinal use is the fact that cannabis will stay in your system. It doesn't want to leave. And I know that you know this, Scott, uh, with nicotine, alcohol, uh, any sort of pills that you take, your body is constantly actively trying to purge those things. However, with cannabis, it wants to hold on to it so much that it wants to bind to every fat cell that you have so it can stay around a little bit longer so that your body can accept it as medicine so that you it can bind to your endocannabinoid system, endocannabinoid system rather, and uh, really change the way that your body works and give you a balance is what I think. Uh, it's a word that's used in the industry a lot. Different companies use it. Um, one-to-one tinctures use it. But I think that uh, homeostasis or balance in your body is something that really cannabis provides to a lot of people. To me, I know it certainly does and uh, hope to uh, some of you out there as well. Oh, yeah. The, the $80 word version of balance uh, in science is, is homeostasis, definitely. And uh, it seems that, you know, in looking at a little more research, the endocannabinoid system, the ECS, if you will, is the most responsible system in your body for being able to maintain balance. And what that means is your ability to sleep and rest and heal, your ability to maintain even things as small as temperature, uh, you know, attitude in certain applications, uh, your ability to maintain a focus in thought, your ability to go through a day and have uh, your rhythms going in and out with your meal times, uh, the way your gut functions, these are all things that the endocannabinoid system can majorly affect. And a lot of the times the illnesses and things we see get treated are all things that have relevant pieces where affecting your gut bacteria can really help with this other malady you might have had if it's leaky gut or something in your intestinal tract. Uh, so it became something that ideally we just took a phyto version, a uh, plant version, if you will, of the animal endocannabinoid. And for anybody out there who might not know exactly what kind of feeling we're talking about, these little chemicals are actually found in a, in a bunch of other areas. One big one for the chocolate lovers out there. Uh, if you've ever went nuts on some dark chocolate, you've literally experienced a similar feeling as most people do if they consume cannabis for those of there you out there who do a lot of running for whatever reason you can figure that out uh if you ever get that classic runner's high they used to think was an endorphin rush it's actually a cannabinoid rush it's the exact same mechanism so that euphoria some of the clarity but also some of like the good feeling it's all going to be at least for the headspace side a mimicry of what cannabis has been doing for generations now, not to downplay the benefits of dark chocolate, uh, <laughs> but I have also heard that it would take about 25 pounds of dark chocolate ingested by a person in order to mimic the uh, feeling of about one-seventh of a gram, so 0.7 of a gram of cannabis, uh, what some states might consider a joint, um, would be a about... A tiny little pin. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, would be about what that level of dark chocolate would give you. So to understand the power of this medicine, too, is really powerful uh, for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, that difference in potency between the two um, uh, is a massive, and it shows you know why if somebody can like dark chocolate just enough for that little increment of the feeling, you can see why somebody who's depressed, why somebody who might have any feelings of mental fatigue would love to have that in a higher potency and something they can really use to their benefit. Uh, and in the same way, you know, the body tends to hold on to things it loves. 
if anybody out there has had a, had a long night of drinking, you know breaking the seal creates just a waterfall effect in the rest of your night because your body is happy to get rid of the poison. It is happy to roll off the rest of that and make sure you know, you're not getting into an unbalanced situation, really. Um, it's the only reason why we have so many systems creating the checks and balances internally. And for one of those things, you know, I th- Kevin, you mentioned side effects. Uh, certainly, depending on what opioid or prescriptive medicine you have, uh, the side effects list usually outweighs the normal one. But there are some common side effects with cannabis we know, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, happy, sleepy, hungry are the Cat biggest said it best. of them. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when using cannabis, a lot of the times I do find a lot of euphoria from it. And I think that that helps a lot of the patients that we see with PTSD or anxiety, depression, that that little bit of euphoria to break away, maybe above the clouds of the heavy clouds that weigh on you experiencing depression or experiencing a really hard time in your life, that little bit really makes mood elevation possible. And it's the mind-body connection. If my mind is not so focused on the stress in my life, on the pain in my life, and can kind of push that to the back, then suddenly my body feels a lot better. My posture changes, my breathing changes, my energy changes. And I think patients really see that as well. I I think it's hard to find it not to be medicine. When you see kids having 70 seizures a week, going to less than three. When you see patients who've dealt with Parkinson's for a really long time and have really bad shakes, suddenly smooth out and be able to walk around a room or not feel self-conscious. Or even thread a key in a hole sometimes is, is a victory for, for folks who have that kind of spasticity. Absolutely. Or to see a guy or a gal who works really, really hard every day to just have a little bit of relief at the end of it from whatever daily stressors are for them, all of those I think are really, really important uh, and all weigh heavy on our minds in terms of viewing this as medicine and as important as it is uh, such a great and wonderful smelling thing that we all really enjoy. (laughs) Ah, the spice, (laughs) melange. So uh, in our state, at least for for any PA residents out there, people curious, uh, as we were talking is some of the issues that cannabis can treat. And this is a list that I know only grows as science and time provides more opportunities to study. Uh, There are an insane amount, you know, internationally, and nationally in of, PA here too we're yeah. working actively I know to Penn is one of them New Penn's list. doing a huge one uh, we're hopefully going to add anxiety which is one of the newer ones we're real excited about because I mean who doesn't suffer in our great relaxed American lifestyles from a little anxiety from the rat race especially in the east coast metropolis that we're buried in Yeah, I I don't know. I I would say I know very few people who haven't suffered from anxiety in one form or another in their life and know even fewer who if used cannabis versus any other number of things that are recommended for anxiety currently, uh, they find much more relief from that. And that's really exciting. And again, uh, happy, hungry, uh, sleepy, sleepy, yeah. being the forgetful occasionally, <laughs> as you may be able to tell, uh, being some of the side effects. 
we're really excited to talk about the other side of things and a little bit more of uh, why maybe you would get the munchies. Yeah, uh, the munchies is one of the side effects which uh, probably a bunch of folks aren't looking forward to as a lot of people like to use it for a mood booster. I myself have a, have a great success being able to use it as sort of a pillow, uh, something that can help guide me into bed and relax my mind. But there is this third heat, and the, one of the more common ones besides getting your eyes red, which is the munchies. And the one side that I know, for me, I've cleaned out cupboards while, uh, while under a, a very sleepy influence, just trying to satiate that very urge. But today we want to tackle this subject. We have our segment Med Pro Quo coming right up with Becky McCaskey, our brilliant pharmacist and advocate for marijuana, and she is going to run us through a little bit of the details as to exactly what we're looking at with hunger and why THC comes in and seems to knock it around quite a bit, tune that sucker up. So I'd like to welcome Becky to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So our body responds in a complex way that not um, is not fully understood yet. But um, some of the main things that signal our body to our body that we're hungry is, you know, an empty stomach, a drop in energy levels. So carbohydrate levels, sugar levels fall, fat levels, et cetera. Um, And then an empty stomach physiologically signals hormones to our brain to tell us that we're hungry and that we need to eat. Now, when you say empty stomach, I'm thinking... Like this morning as I was lazily not getting out of bed in time uh, that I started to hear sort of the noises of my stomach. Is that when it starts? So that's secondary to a drop in energy levels. So when your stomach is empty and your energy levels are low, your body will send hormone signals um, in response to your stomach not being stretched or full. And Uh, then we'll start sending signals back to your organs to kind of create those rumblings. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mine were super loud this morning, so I was <laughs> glad to get rid of them. Uh, so if that's normally... So once we add food into that, I'm guessing since your stomach now has something in it, that signal just stops being sent? Normally, yes. It would get shut off. But um, if we knew all the answers to that, we would not have an obesity problem <laughs> in this country. <laughs> well, speaking of adding to that obesity problem, uh, I certainly have cleared out a cabinet or two Um, after medicating, uh, usually later in the day seems to be when it hits me the worst. Um, So obviously there's some relationship between cannabis and uh, I guess your hunger system. What what exactly is that relationship? So there's a few different things that go into that. Um, The cannabis, the THC in the cannabis is kind of signaling to your brain, um, mimicking your body's own endocannabinoids and signaling to release hormones and chemical messengers. So um, it's making certain hunger signals more obvious and impossible to ignore, um, such as your sense of smell. Um, Our stomachs are growling and we feel like we're starving. Food is tasting better and eating is also more pleasurable than it would normally be. Um, And also we we don't necessarily feel full even though our stomachs are full and we should. So is that to say, I mean, I'm thinking of sort of how, you know, broadcasting works where if you send a stronger signal, the weaker signal sort of gets, you know, rounded out of the equation. Is this sort of like, you know, I guess if you're full, you're full, but with adding in a little bit of those cannabinoids, you can, you know, still be presented the motivation to continue eating, even though I guess your body's at a point when it's satiated. Right. 
So your sense of smell normally, um, we smell something when we're hungry, our sense of smell is heightened. And when we smell it for long enough, we stop smelling it. So let's say you walk into a room and you smell cake after a minute or so of being there. You're not really smelling that scent anymore. Your body becomes like your brain becomes habituated to it. Good $60 word. So, habituated to it. <laughs> so when you are exposing your body to THC in the cannabis, your your brain does not, um, your brain keeps smelling it. It, it smells for longer. Oh, you so it's going to smell habituation. better for longer, I guess right. then, right? Ah, so you're going to keep quite smelling it and you're going to be fixated on it almost, right? Because yeah. you can't stop smelling it. It's like it's right in the middle of your scope. Right. I see. That does explain so, a little bit of that thought pattern that you feel where it's like you can turn right. away, you can start, you know, trying to distract yourself, but there's always part of your brain was like, hey, remember that awesome thing from a couple of seconds ago? And you're just like, hmm, maybe once again, I'll think about it. I sort of get locked into a good mentality with it, uh, which is fine because I know uh, I'm not the biggest guy on the planet. I definitely could eat a bit more. <laughs> um, but for those uh, folks who aren't looking forward to, you know, the ninth meal of the night um, after medicating, is there anything we can do? to combat that either from the cannabis side or anything else that you know of uh, that affects hunger to suppress it even? Well, having a full stomach sometimes helps. So if your stomach is stretched, it's going to turn off some of those hormone signals to your brain that tell you that you're hungry, but that doesn't always work. Um, There are certain compounds in some strains of cannabis that can suppress hunger. So higher CBD content strains, lower THC will have less um, appetite stimulation, certain terpenes like humulin are, are um, appetite suppressing, and THCV, which may block some of the receptors from being activated by THC. So those can kind of shut off those strong appetite stimulation, stimulating changes. It is interesting. For uh, Are there times when you were uh, dealing with um, other chemicals in pharmacology that you ran into other things that mimic that? Like, was there ever any other, um, I guess, pharmaceutical drugs that you might fill the orders of or deal with that actually increased hunger similar to cannabis because I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain and I think I've always run into ones that usually make you like nauseous or not want to eat cannabis being one of the rare ones where like you're really like I guess such a fan of hunger in those moments well synthetic cannabinoid like synthetic marinol which is like synthetic THC is a prescription medication that some people take to stimulate appetite for cancer patients is that something that's been uh, on the market a while yes oh really okay so uh as far and i'm not sure um if you've run into this but is that a like fully legal drug in all 50 states or is that still bound by some of the it's laws legal. with cannabis oh it's fully controlled legal. substance but legal okay so it's still like on yes. a schedule if you will yes not even and it's synthetic so it doesn't really work quite as well because it's a kind of an isolated synthetic THC. So when you isolate something in that, I know this will get a little deep uh, for some of our audience members, um, but when you synthesize something, you know, to replace, I guess, a natural occurrence in it, um, are, what are the downsides? I guess, what are the pros and cons of that? It seems like you mentioned you don't always get a true to form effect. Um, I'm guessing you deal with that quite a bit in pharmacology. What's a little bit of the overview and how that functions when you're going through synthesis versus a natural state? So most drugs are synthesized and are, even if they're kind of isolated from a plant or something in nature, um, it's synthesized, purified, 
and it's single ingredient because for FDA approval, it has to be a single patented ingredient or combination thereof. I did not realize that. So they're really looking at, as opposed to having something complex, like obviously I think I've read in cannabis, there's like over a hundred different cannabinoids. We're still obviously digging into that and figuring out more and more about how they interact and terpenes. I know there's between probably like 50 and 200 that exist. I think cannabis has like 60 plus in it. Um, So this would be a very hard thing for the FDA to get behind because of all those complexities. Um, In the area where they synthesized cannabinoids, did they also go through with the other parts of the plant, like with terpenes or anything? Was that purely just the, the THC mimicker? Just the THC mimicker and not like naturally occurring THC. It's what kind a of side effects chemical. does that give off? Same. But it also doesn't have the same, It there's no terpenes, there's no entourage effect with, you know, plant-based cannabis that's full spectrum. You're going to have all these other things in the plant that are kind of contributing to its effect versus a synthetic. When, uh, when you're dealing with uh, a lot of, newer people into this market obviously people who need a lot of guidance for it um i've seen in a lot of dispensary menus there is an insane amount of information and a lot of sort of different versions of the same product um when you're looking through it and you're trying to have a patient digest it what's one of the better ways to sort of look at the market and and what it does medicinally um even to look at that our big question again how do you approach it from a pharmacist angle of thinking of it as medicine when you're trying to make, I guess, uh, adjustments or prescriptions for people on what they should do. So I'll take a look at the medical indication or indications and try to pick out um, different cannabinoids and different terpenes and different forms that may have a different effect, you know, inhaled versus digested cannabis and to try to pick out um, different strains or products that would have higher amounts of certain cannabinoids that would be anti-inflammatory, let's say. Okay. Or um, muscle relaxing. What's uh, And this is more so my own horse in the race, but what might be a few offhand, I know I've been a back pain sufferer for years, um, back pain and sleep being two big ones, but for anybody listening out there, uh, what are some uh, easy ways if they ever see a hot word, they know that that's a good direction to go with as far as cannabinoids or terpenes, anything that kick out of your mind something you've suggested or even strains no i think um with with cannabis based medicine it's very much trial and error for a lot of patients like we can start you know figure out what a good starting place is but there's a lot of factors that come into play one um what you're treating what medical condition you're treating two lifestyle three digestive um functioning so if someone's ever had a stomach surgery or digestive surgery digested cannabis may not be quite as effective or if they take a lot of different prescription medications that may interact um, digested cannabis may not be um, as safe or as predictable if it has to get digested and go through the liver first so using a patch or inhaled forms of cannabis may have more consistency or a better effect out of all the ways that you can take it in uh, what's your preferred method of medicating Personally? Yeah, personally. Inhaled. Inhaled? Yeah. Uh, What would you say um, for the sake of looking at, I guess we have like, you know, transdermal, inhaled, digested. um, You can do sublingual treatments as well. Um, Which of those would you say is probably the, has the most entourage effect, the most sort of full circle to it? 
Probably vaporized, lower temperature vaporized cannabis. It's probably the most thorough way. You're going to get more of the terpenes. You're going to get most of the cannabinoids versus a high temperature. Or if you digest it, you're going to have um, variable absorption of all the different cannabinoids and terpenes if it's digested. Patches, I'm not sure if there's any technology that, you know, has terpenes in a patch for transdermal effect. I'm not sure about that. It doesn't seem like it would be that effective just given the delivery method. Topically, terpenes can be helpful for um, different conditions, but not necessarily for absorption. Not that I know of. Interesting. Um, Now, in one of the things it says, uh, Act 16 of uh, Pennsylvania uh, was the big act that gave us medical access in the first place. Uh, But one of the things in our state that it does not allow is combustion. Um, And certainly, I think a lot of states have gone through this as their medical and hopeful eventual rec markets have developed. Uh, Combustion, of course, has a major issue with it from the medicinal side. And uh, what is that exactly, Becky? Why is it that they uh, sort of block us out of being able to burn it? I don't think the Department of Health wants anyone thinking smoking is healthy, even though cannabis hasn't been smoking cannabis hasn't been shown to increase rates of cancer. There's still particulates that you're inhaling into your lungs and you're getting the tar, et cetera. Um, So they can't recommend that versus vaporizing, right? Because you're still getting the inhaled route when you're vaporizing, but you're not getting that combust, the combusted kind of toxins into your lungs, particulates. Now, I've kind of heard this, I think, uh, years and years ago. This is probably a mid-90s thing that was released um, around the time. I think, you know, grilling's always been a big deal in this country. Um, Certain holidays were certain presented. And, you know, a charred burger or, you know, like cooking something on the grill where it would actually get ignited, I was also encouraged to believe sort of created the same conditions. Uh, Does that seem like it's like a carbonization of things that you're inhaling doesn't really have too much purpose in the body? I guess that follows through. Yeah, All combustion that, sort of creates that possibility, right? Right. And I also feel like people smoke because it's cheaper and easier than vaporizing. Well, uh, yeah, and if you look at how much like vaporizers smoking. cost, right? Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's very, very true. I know most handheld vapes, you're looking at a couple hundred bucks for a quality one. Uh, you go to a table side of vape and, you know, you can be well over a three or $400 price point pretty quick. Um, but for any PA residents out there, uh, that is the DOH's approach for at least flower combustion or flower consumption um is to be able to get it through a vaporizer uh, so we don't add in any more medical issues really like why get a a hacking or whooping cough out of all this when we should be uh, hopefully adding in a little bit of medicinal improvement and not a new malady that's uh that's old pharma's job Well, good. Well, thank you for joining me today, Becky. I appreciate you being Thanks on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to have you. Always. Uh, you'll no doubt hear from Becky in the future. Uh, she is one of our core team members here at the Cannabis Question. Uh, we'll have many questions to come, uh, and she will help us through them. Uh, so once again, thanks for popping in. Thanks. Well, that is our show for today. So I wanted to thank you for joining me on the Cannabis Question. I'm really glad you were able to be here and give us a listen. And we'll be back with you in two weeks with some new content. We'll have a new question for you we'll tackle about cannabis and a new segment along the way as well. Uh, If you'd like to check us out online, we have a Facebook page up. uh, That's going to be facebook.com backslash tcqpod, or you can just search for the cannabis question. Uh, We just got our Instagram up, so that information will be there soon. And of course, we got a bunch more social media to get updated too. Uh, you can always contact us through our email address, which is going to be thecannabisquestion at gmail.com. And please, uh, I want to hear any thoughts, feelings, or reactions you had to our content. Also, anything you loved, 
anything you might not love so much or things you might want to hear in the future for us, you know, any questions you might have burning a hole in your mind that uh, we could take a snap at and help you out with. Uh, be sure if you ever see that like button anywhere, just give it a double click uh, in our favor. And I'll see you folks in about two weeks. Be well and stay medicated.